Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by Noah Weisberg. He's an actor and director known for Super Pumped, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and Modern Family. I had Noah on the show today to discuss his role in Super Pumped. The Showtime limited series tells the stranger than fiction story about the rise of Uber. It's currently available on Showtime and I highly recommend you check it out. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Wow. I, I got to say right away, one of the more interesting things about working over Zoom for the last couple of years is just being the uh, voyeur that I am and seeing people's rooms that they're in when they call. And your room is so beautiful. It looks fake. Honestly, well, this looks like a background that somebody would choose. That doesn't look real. It's so that's the nicest thing you've ever said. <laughs> that's a, I, I moved during the pandemic and, uh, you know, renovated this house and everything. So my goal was to make it look like it's too clean to mess up. Please take your shoes off and don't touch any. <laughs> That's the vibe I want when people come over to my, my new house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mission accomplished. So how, how have you been? That seems like a lot to, with everything else that we had going on over the last couple of years, that seems like that would be a stressful undertaking to yeah. relocate. It actually was sort of a, a blessing because I needed something to focus on. So I was, I had been on the road with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Broadway show for a year. I decided I'm going to go back to New York. I had rentals in both places. So I went back to New York City, fixed up that rental, which is weird, but in New York where apartments are nine gazillion dollars, you're like, well, I'll just fix up this rental. <laughs> um, and so I fixed all that up and then I decided to come out to LA where again, I had a rental, but I had rented it out to someone else because I knew I'd be gone for a long time. Um, and uh, I came out here for a film festival for a movie I had made. And that was the last few days of February, 2020. And then that sort of weird distant thing that was somewhere else, COVID we started, all of a sudden it was like the news and people were getting sick and I was starting to feel a little, I, I, I knew, there were no tests. There were no, yeah. no, but I had just sat in movie theaters for two weekends straight for two different film festivals from pe with people all around the world. And all of a sudden I was like not feeling well. So I just kind of stayed in LA and never went back to New York. I left my apartment just sitting there. And I was like, Noah, pack light. You don't need 90. <laughs> You're going to some film festivals, just bring one or two. So I left like, oh, I'll be back in like, you know, seven days. Yeah. And then time just, just kept getting scarier and scarier and I never left. And then eventually I was like, well, I'm going to buy a place, which was a crazy thing. And then I thought I would renovate one little moment. And then I was like, well, now the kitchen looks nice. I got to do the floor. Now the floors look nice. I got to repaint, you know. That's so, how it goes. It's just one thing. It's like, it's just a dishwasher. And then six months and $50,000 later, it's, yeah, all that. Yeah. So yeah. I think we all went through something. So you stare at the same walls for enough years and you're going to want to at least change the way they look somehow. But yeah, you're holding it together. Uh, it's, as you can see in my background, there's just things strewn about everywhere. So. Which is the reality, which is why this is so crazy that it looks <laughs> like an HGTV show. But also, I happen. I love acting. I mean, that's why we're here talking. Right. Yes. I happen to love home design and real estate and all those things. So the fact that the timing worked out and um, 
it really, I realized like it was stressful doing it for three months, renovating, not myself, but being a part of all of that. Uh, but it was a blessing because I, what else would I have focused on? I mean, you couldn't really leave the house. Every, everyone was getting sick. It was so scary. So it, it was, it was a blessing. And at what point were you starting to go back to work? Did you, I'm assuming super pumped was shot during the pandemic. When did you start to go back? Yeah. During the, the, the speaking of blessings, the greatest one was um, Zoe's extraordinary playlist in terms mm. of work in the heat in the heart of the pandemic. I mean, we're still obviously in this pandemic and with all these waves, but like in the heart of it, I was flying to, uh, to Canada to shoot Zoe's. And I went out for, you know, two or three, cause you go out and you do a couple episodes, then you come back and whatever. And each time in the beginning, I would be quarantined for two weeks in an apartment. Oh, wow. Like you can't go in the hallway. If you yeah. want to garbage, you just, Put it out the door, <laughs> close the door. And like the couple times, or not couple, like the million times I would order food, the person would, you know, they're supposed to just leave it at the door. But if I would see them, I, I was a human being. I was like, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to see anyone. And they were like, okay, see your food. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, would, you would lock yourself in this apartment and, you know, it's a big NBC show. So they gave you a nice place, but it was still mm-hmm. not huge. Uh, and you had to have this mindset of like, I'm going in 14 days, I'm going to get to do the thing I love most in the world. I'm going to get to act on a great TV show because it was a real mind game to have to be in a little apartment for two weeks. Does that give you the same, because you were coming off of the tour for Charlie and the chocolate factory, where that's something that has that immediate reward where you just feel that that that's something you can't, I don't, I don't, I assume that that, feeling you can't replicate when you're doing a series or um, the live performance element of it. Yeah. You know, theater is so um, there's nothing that beats theater. It's also more exhausting um, and all that, but there's nothing that beats that live element. There's nothing be- that beats that family that you create. Cause I feel that way, even about like super pumped. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys from the show and people from, from Zoe's, we still text and hang out and talk uh the, the incredible uh, woman who helped style my hair for Super Pumped, has be, Christy, has become a really good friend. We're hanging out tomorrow. Um, like it, there is a real sort of team and family feeling that you get, but nothing compares to theater. Because I always think that like on a TV show, you can still yell cut, not me. Right. Like, <laughs> I imagine if I was like, cut. <laughs> but, you know, the you really become a family when you have to keep going and there's 3000 people in a touring house or 1800 in a Broadway house, whatever it is you have in the audience, you have to keep going. Uh, so gosh, do you feel like a family? Uh, and you do get that immediate instant gratification of like you finish a number and you're like, but there, and there's something to me, even though I'm assuming as a performer, um, I don't know how lasting those moments are of each individual performance. They have to bleed all together. But from an audience perspective, um, it's something that leaves a mark when you see something live performed in front of you. It's st- some of my favorite experiences are going to small theaters, sitting in a black box and just watching people perform and being that connected to performance. And I know that it's it feels very shared, but I'm assuming that there's something where for the performer, while you're in the moment, it's kind of just this thing that's fleeting and goes away very quickly. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting balance because there are times where you forget to be grateful that you're doing this thing that we love and that thousands and thousands of people are trying to do. And for moments at a time, you get to be one of those people. Like, I don't have a job right now, you know? Uh, so I'm one of those people that is excited about what the next thing is. But I'm also a person that sits in the audience of theaters and loves me. Like everyone that knows me knows like I love musical theater more than anything in the world. Yeah. Uh, sorry to my family. Um, <laughs> if you had written Carousel, I'd love you more. Uh, but so I also, and all, all actors, I think theater actors remember, try to remember this. Yes, this is the sixth show of the week out of eight and you're exhausted and you had a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend and your t- whatever it is. But there are people that paid a lot of money, even in regional theaters. I yeah. mean, Broadway is crazy expensive. Um, and there are people that are, it's your, their first show. They're bringing their kid. It's their first show or the husband or wife that gets dragged and they're not the theater fans. And all of a sudden they fall in love or people that see themselves on stage in a way that they can't express it. And there, there's some healing that happens or some opening that happens. So really quickly, I went back to New York now for the first time since I happily got stranded out here in LA. Sure. And I went because my best friend uh, and Broadway actor, director, choreographer, Josh Walden directed and choreographed a production of Smokey Joe's Cafe. Oh, wow. Okay. Great show. Yeah. And I love the original version. It's fun. They didn't try to force some story down our throats. It's just like, this is the evening of entertainment. And he reimagined this show um, uh, at the Fulton theater in Pennsylvania um, in a way that actually brought humanity to it and connection between characters without adding or changing any lines. Cause you're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring this up because it was one of those things where, okay, it's a regional theater. It's not Broadway. And yet I know lives were changed because there was a, a, a focus on inclusion and representation that hasn't been the focus for a hundred years on Broadway and is starting slowly to be. Um, and to watch you know, people, people of color and, and representation of, of queer men of color, all these things that, that I'm still trying to absorb and learn and support. Uh, Josh, the director pushed this theater company in sort of a smaller town to say, we're going to do this on stage and we're going to educate people. We might piss off some people who aren't ready to see this message. And it wasn't like outlandish. It was all supportive. Right. But those moments is are, are why I try to remember that as a performer. Like there are people that are going to come here thinking they're seeing some show, even if it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and be transported in a way or connect with Charlie's heart or Grandpa Joe's support for his family, whatever. Or in this case of, of Smokey Joe's Cafe, like seeing people that they're not seen on stage often enough. And here they were. Uh, so I, I went on and on about it. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's actually, it's something that I think as an audience member, when we're watching live performance, we give so much more room than we do for something that's recorded where it's, it doesn't have to be a perfect performance. It's you're standing there, you're watching these people sing and dance and move and perform. And it's, you're so close to it. It's so visceral that it, you can't help but be impacted by that. And the idea of representation, I think it's moved quite a bit in the last 20, 30 years where Broadway shows 
the idea of representation was almost done as shock value where it was done. It's just, we're doing this thing, but look, we did it in drag and it's okay. But what else are you saying about that? And now representation is getting to a place where it's almost secondary, where it's just, this is the version of this thing that we're telling. It's not about this. It just happens to have this story kind of like a coming out story is now moving from it's about that moment to just the coming of age story where it's secondary in a way. And I, and I think that's a good shift in the culture. Yeah, that's certainly the goal. And yet I talked to a, a great friend yesterday here in LA, who's a writer, who's like, who, you know, person of color. And is like, there's, wow. we hear about all this progress and I'm telling you, I don't see it as much as, as, as we think. So I'm, it's, you know, this, I know it's an ongoing struggle and, we've made maybe this much progress and have this much more to go. But, but I, I feel like I've seen progress. I feel like yeah. I just saw it on stage and it, and it was a battle because Josh had to sort of push against the wonderful, caring um, manager of this theater who was saying, I, I, we're going to lose sponsors potentially mm-hmm. if this, if the, these themes are involved. And then he had to sort of realize, okay, I need to back off. We need, both need to figure out how to make money because it's a business, but also Always. tell a true, honest, beautiful story. Uh, and it works so well. So it's happening, but I know we have a lot, a lot more room to go. Yeah. We're, we're not there yet. It's not, it's not uh, clearly we're not there yet. If you watch the news at all, there's right. for, for all the progress, there's definitely um, backwards momentum right now. And it, it's, it's kind of that balance of trying to recognize that we are moving forward without, becoming complacent and allowing things to slip away from us. Right. But, you know, the, for super pumped, it, the, yeah. one of the, I, I was struck by kind of right away, the writing in this, where it almost, it's, it's something that's Billy Wilder esque with the pace of some of the dialogue here, where it moves at a clip that it does feel like something that you would maybe even see um, performed live. It has, it's very dialogue driven that it does come down to a, it's not that it doesn't look good. It looks great. It's shot. It, the shot compositions are beautiful here. It's really well laid out, but this is a performance piece more than a lot of stuff that I see on television these days. Yeah. These writers aren't writing simple, just little lines. I mean, they're writing complex stuff like Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, I call <laughs> Oh, Joe. I think I'm on. Uh, but I mean, talk about dialogue. Uh, yeah. Just so much. And of course, because he's grown up doing this and he's so good, it felt pretty, even right there, it felt pretty effortless. Not that he wasn't focused and running lines before each take and, and working on it, but also it would be like, all right, cut. And we're all laughing and joking around. Uh, but yeah, these, these guys who created Billions, they are writers. I mean, they are, it's a mouthful and it's super fun. And the pacing they never said like, okay, guys, pick up the pace. It just, you felt the pacing in the writing. Like it, it, you'd read and you're like, oh, this is a fast paced thing. Cause there's always that clock ticking. Cause there's always another deadline or always another crisis. So to me, that's well-written stuff. And it's, I, I would, when I go, but when I watch something like this, I, because I am a, I don't know, narcissist, I tend to project myself into everything that I watch, everything that I see to some degree. And I would, I think of, you performing in that in certain scenes here and i would have a very difficult time not being fully present but just watching performance from the side when it's moving at that clip and just waiting for that moment to jump in and it 
I couldn't imagine sitting in that room. It can't be easy just to not be in awe at times of everything that you're witnessing. It's a, it was nerve wracking. Uh, it's a good thing that we're allowed multiple takes <laughs> because, you know, there were a group of guys and gals like me that were, you know, good recurring roles and had a lot to do, but we're not Uma Thurman or Kyle Chandler or Joseph Gordon-Levitt or so many more people that are like major, major people. Uh, but I think there was this, this laid back vibe on set that is the exact opposite of what we see in the show. Again, like the cut, I'm there was a scene in episode seven uh, where there's a group of us in the boardroom are trying to figure out what to do without sort of head honcho there. And we had, you know, you don't really get to rehearse on TV. You just maybe right before you shoot, they kind of place you so the cameras know where to be in the mm-hmm. lighting. They'll say, All right, let's just run it once for camera. Okay, great. Uh, Noah, maybe sit down and then stand up and get the caught, whatever. It's like, it's not like play rehearsal where you have time yeah. to do it, which in some ways good because you're not in your head about it. You just have to listen and respond. But we did the rehearsal, went great. It's like, great, we're joking around. They're like, all right, guys, all right, let's roll one. Here we go. And action. And the first thing, my line, I was like, line? <laughs> I had no idea. I had just done it fine 46 seconds ago. Uh, and still that was, you know, two months ago. And still, when I see some of those guys are like line, we just, it was just <laughs> that. So somehow the nerves kind of went away and, um, and also we're doing it still during the pandemic, everyone's masked up. And then there would be an occasional, okay, we had someone who's, you know, we had to stop production one time, like in the middle of a scene. Um, thankfully everyone was okay, but there was a lot going on, but, um, people were kind enough and supportive enough that it never felt too nerve wracking. And it's a lot of things that you see that are being told that are pandemic stories. You'll feel like there's going to be a timestamp on them where in five, 10 years from now, you'll be able to look back and say, Oh, okay. This was definitely a 2021 movie because of, you know, the scope and size. And this is not that case. It's moving around all over the place. You have a large ensemble cast. It doesn't feel small is never the word I would use to describe this. No, I keep looking at it and I'm like, they spent so much money on this thing. <laughs> and it shows. I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's a huge, rich company, Uber. Yeah. And they did it justice. They did not cheap out. They were generous to us as actors. They were, the set was incredible. Was that accurate to their actual offices? Because that was something that felt like it was real. Yes, apparently it was very close to what the actual offices were like. Um, I mean, there was there were no corners cut. If they needed to go to San Francisco for exterior shots, they were in San Francisco. Uh, and then the interior stuff, like even you know TK's apartment, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Kyle Chandler's offices, which were so beautiful, like the rustic wood. That was all just a set. Looks so real. And then, of course, the headquarters for uh, for Uber. It was like a football field. I mean, it was massive and beautiful and uh, multi-leveled. Uh, you know, and they were all functioning offices with real computers and electricity. And, it, it, yeah, we were all blown away. I wanted, well, I, I wanted to, like, take all that furniture home with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something where you look at even something that's a set that's being used for just one scene. 
And it feels like something that's really lived in, you know, when you go, when TK has the original office that he had where um, Ovitz was, you know, saying whatever that thing was where he was saying, you know, you don't go behind my back. Some, I can't remember the exact words he said, but that's a fully realized lived in space. That is not something you normally would see. It feels very real in a way that it feels like they were just going around and this is where it was shot. This is where this actually happened. And the scope of this thing is just enormous and it doesn't feel like a pandemic show at all. And it, I think it, it lends authenticity to it in a way that if it wasn't there um, you would notice it, but it's only, it could be taken for granted when it is there, I think. Yeah. And there were times where they chose stuff that I was like, you could put the scene somewhere else. Like Joe and Kyle had a scene in episode six or seven where they're just, they're standing in front of a private jet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I imagine they didn't actually fly the jet, but they had to rent that. They had to go and get to the airport and rent the jet and do all the stuff. And you could have had that dialogue somewhere else that would have been cheaper or on a yeah. whatever. They just didn't. And also, I think that also shows the faith in our show creators. This group of people, they're so good that I think Showtime's like, okay, yeah, here's some money. Go do it right. Um, <laughs> It was awesome. I mean, and get to like drive onto Paramount every day and be there a part of the show is just so special. And added to that, like I said, with, with Zoe's during a pandemic when work is even harder to come by right? and, you know, also to get all these tests because you have to get tested every other day. So that was like a nice thing, just as a person who's more conservative in terms of staying safe and masking. And um, I was like, Oh, I get tests every other day. This is nice. Well, there was a point in time where that was very difficult to come by, where testing was not readily available. And it was some of the um, some of the protocols that were being initiated. We kind of they were going in, you know, the Hollywood industry. That was they were some of the first ones to actually return to office in a way where and we kind of learned from that. And, you know, being outside world i you know we still haven't gone back to the office at this point yet so it's something that we're still kind of there and it's got to be nice to connect with people again as somebody who does um take this very seriously and has been very conservative um with this that you know just being able to connect with people i'm somebody who's shy and introverted by nature but man i miss it it's something i I would always say no just put me on an island by myself i'd be fine no no not at all that is not who i am i'm not wired the way i thought i was yeah, I uh, I totally agree. I uh, there most auditions are almost I've ne- I haven't had an audition in person yet. Wow. So auditions are now, you know, in my like home office against the wall trying to hope like the noises from outside aren't totally overtaking the the audition, but I miss it. I miss getting in the room and talking to people and also getting direction because you you at home you're auditioning and you're just taking a stab based on what they wrote. And it's so nice to be in there and they go, okay, hey, great job. No, why don't you try it again? I really want a little more. Ah, you don't know. Um, and I'm sure it's more efficient for casting, which is good. But I'd imagine maybe they miss it too, being able to sort of work with actors. And uh, I don't know. And again, but here I, I, I booked Super Pump while I was home in Chicago. My brother, who's an attorney, not in showbiz, I guess it's a former showbiz, but um, he was my reader. And while my little nephew was finally sleeping upstairs and we finally got a few takes out where I didn't, where either me or my brother didn't crack up laughing because how silly to say all these words together as brothers. Yeah. But that's how I got the job was in his living room on my iPhone. So 
in a way, that's also pretty awesome that you can get a TV series from, you know, being on your iPhone and the the idea that you could line up, I don't know, you could easily do seven auditions in a day. And if you're in Los Angeles trying to run around everywhere, you probably couldn't get three in a day um, if you're going to the different lots, but you're also, you're losing half your arsenal as a performer. I mean, movement is such an important part of performance and, you know, simply standing up, moving across the room, the way that you're holding your posture, those things you it's a lot more difficult to convey over zoom than it is in person. And that is so much of a performance. Yeah. It also, I mean, it gives you the ease of, you don't have to be nervous. Okay. I only have one or two takes. I'm in the room. I've been sitting in the waiting room for 20 other guys. <laughs> I'll have curly hair. I thought I have curly hair. I have good hair. I have good. Like, so you can do it 12 times. And right. your one. the other problem is you can do it 12 times and you get in your head. You're like, which take do I send? That one's where this one. So I, I think ideally, hopefully at some point, maybe eventually we'll start to get back into rooms and um, be human beings again. And are you going to, when will you be getting back on stage again? Because I'm assuming that's something that you miss at this point. I do. I don't know. Um, uh, it has to be the right thing. Uh, I, I don't mean that like egoically, like I need the right project, but you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It, it most likely would mean going back to New York, which would be, a, I would love that. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I want it to be the right thing, you know, well, that I'm excited to do because it's, it's a lot of work and it's not always as much money, which is fine. But now that the house, you want to make sure you're paying the mortgage. Well, and you're giving up so much of your life for that, that, I mean, more than anything else, the value of your time is probably should be paramount taking away time from your family your friends, anything like that, your loved ones. It's just, that's huge. And the schedule of live performance, especially in Broadway, that's, there's not many things like that. No. And even though you're only performing a few hours a day for me, I still have to just be a hermit because I'm not, I mean, I'm not like a drinker anyway, but I'm not out. You can't be out drinking and doing all the partying stuff, at least not from me. Like, so you can be ready for the show and do eight a week. Uh, but also I was just having this conversation with a friend. It's, it is giving up your life, but at the same time, like it is your life. Yeah, true. This thing that we always want to do. And, and they're, they're, most actors are just grateful to be working and appreciative and loving it. And it's stressful, but they, they care about it. Um, but there is, you know, negativity out there and people that feel trapped in a thing. And I, I always have to try to remember for myself, luckily I'm not wired that way, mm-hmm. that this is not, 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 this is a gift, not that we should be taken advantage of, you know, we're still performing a service and should get paid for that or whatever. And thank right. think we have unions that protect us in that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the life doesn't stop because we're doing this job. This is my life now. What a joy that, that we get to do it. So, well, being appreciative of that, no matter what you're doing, it's always important to recognize the, the blessings that you have, you know, it's you, there was a point in time where you walked into a room and you really tried to get that job, whatever that job is, and just try to remember that moment. Not that you should allow yourself to be victimized or be in a position that's toxic or anything like that. But I think um, a little bit of humility is very important and trying to be grateful if you can. Um, because it's just, like you said, those feelings of being trapped can be a cancer. And if you listen to them, they'll come up in the back of your head and they'll take over every thought eventually. Right. I remember there would be things like on set for TV shows that 
I'd be like, oh, I have tomorrow, I have tomorrow off. And, and someone would say like, oh, so lucky. And I, I didn't say anything, but in my head, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go back to my apartment or my hotel or my, I want to be on set. Yeah. That's the fun for me. And that's uh, great. I think that if you can still hang on to that, that sort of enthusiasm for it and not lose sight of, yeah. you know, because really people want to be around people with that attitude. One thing that I have learned in, you know, talking to people about film and television for the last eight years now, um, people don't want to work with assholes. So yeah. if you're pleasant to be around and you, you know, are enthusiastic about the work, I think you get more work because people will want to be around you and they'll spread that word. And hopefully um, the, a lot of the egos that were allowed to flourish not that long ago, some of that's being stomped out. And again, we're not fully there, but you, I don't think there's as much tolerance for nonsense as there once was. No, thankfully. No. Um, and I, of course, hear the famous stories that we all, but I also hear other stories. I really, I can't even think of a time where there's, I've really witnessed that maybe a, maybe a time or two, but like most everyone is so kind. I think back to Legally Blonde and watching Laura Bell Bundy and Christian Borrell, our, our leads in our show. And I mean, just kind, lovely people. And again, I think, I don't necessarily believe in trickle-down economics, but I believe in trickle-down <laughs> kindness, you know? I, I'm with you on both. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like they're the ones that set the the you know, the way that it's going to go. And so for me, when I was doing Charlie and Chocolate Factory, being one of the leads of the show, um, I tried, I don't know if I always succeeded, but I tried to set a positive tone. And, you know, I had watched, I remember all those years ago in Legally Blonde, I'd watched Laura and Christian. We all went out as a cast uh, to this dinner. It had to be really expensive. I don't know how many thousands of dollars because there were a lot of us. And they're like, we got it. So I remember like for, for Charlie and Chalk Factory, I, I was like, I'm going to rent a place and hire some musicians and throw a Christmas party for everybody. I, I mean, Laura and Christian don't know, but that was like 13 years later of me being like, I want to do that thing that you did for us. Cause that meant so much to me for other people. Um, and I, I've just always witnessed kindness. They, but, they, they, those moments stick around and have a much greater impact than I think people even know. It's just, you know, that, that, cliche about, you know, there's somebody that remembers you that you've completely forgotten about because you were kind to them. It's that idea that you just, you know, extend that. And I think if you lead with that in your heart, you're probably going to be in a much better place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I love this show. Um, I just got the screeners for it last night. So I am 46 years old. I have two kids. I am in bed at nine o'clock every night. And I was actually up till midnight watching this last night because it's a hell of a ride this is a fun fun show that i just had a great time with and you always have you you have such a great fun role to play where you know you think about the arc of a character your character even in like two lines has arcs throughout each episode where you actually have movement and that kind of attention to detail you don't normally see um and this is what makes it truly an ensemble piece i think yeah, and that's credit to the writers and directors. I mean, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, I don't have the hugest role in the show. Um, it's important, I, though. It, it's, yeah. it, if you were, you have to show up in those moments because you would stick out like a sore thumb because you're there in very key, important moments. Everybody in the show, I was just, again, I was just having this conversation. Like, every person 
I expect the famous people to be great and they are sure they're famous for a reason and they work all the time for a reason. But there's, again, there's a group of, of guys and gals sort of at my level that are coming in and out of these episodes and they're so good. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes almost harder to be good when you have three lines in a scene, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, how do I be real? I said like, yes, sir. And then you leave. You're like, that's the worst. Yes, sir. I've ever heard. Uh, but I don't, I don't find anyone in the show where I'm like, Oh no, that guy, everyone's so good. Um, you know, also there was like Brian, one of the show creators had, had said that, uh, he, he sort of had a hand in hand picking a lot of these people. And if he, you know, we have great casting director, but if it was like, I'm not, I'm not seeing what I want, give me more people. Um, cause casting has to sort of narrow down all the tapes they get and say, all right, here's our favorite 10, or I don't know how they do it exactly. And he cared enough to go, give me 10 more. Let me see. And, and that's why every single person's good. Yeah. There's, there's not a moment where the show couldn't veer off in any number of directions where you could say, okay, now we're going to follow this character for the next two episodes because everybody feels fully realized and fleshed out and you can tell they were thought about and it wasn't just somebody, okay, we need this height, this weight, this ethnicity, go get that. It was, these are full three-dimensional characters, everyone. And I've written several letters to Showtime saying there should be a Quentin, um, my character spinoff. They have not responded, which is hurtful. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, they, these, these, these people wrote good characters, even when they're, you, well, you have to, with your particular role, I guess in this, you have to be careful that Showtime hasn't offered that to Tarantino at this point. Cause that might, they may have heard you and listened, but gone in a different direction. Right, right. And he, need, he needs work. He does. Uh, he, he's yeah. I, oh. I think he has some talent. It's would never <laughs> have thought of that. It's oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I said in the script, Tarantino voiceover, but I thought they were going to get like a sound alike or something. It's him. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, perfect casting. Yeah. So as the, the voice of the enthusiastic voice of, can you believe this shit really happened? It's just like, he just ju- drops in with these and it's perfect. So, yeah. but congratulations on the project. It's fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed you in it. And I'm looking forward to whatever you have coming up next. Cause I'm, I'm sure it'll be soon. I hope so. Because otherwise I'm just going to be staring at all my lovely. You know, there's worse walls to be staring at. That's so, true. That's true. So you have, you have nice walls to stare at. And, you know, <laughs> nice little while. Thank you so much, Noah. It was really nice to meet you. Me too. Take care. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
My boy's cracked.